This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 603 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by ProStride. On tonight's USDF episode, we will have a discussion with rules expert Janine Malone. And after that, we have interviews with para riders Charlotte Merle-Smith and Andy Sue Roth. To finish, we're going to answer a listener question. This is Reese Koffler-Stanfield from Loxahatchee, Florida. And this is Philip Parks, still from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. <laughs> Hi, Phil. I know this is so hard because this is normally the time you would come visit us or, you know. This, or I'd be somewhere exotic. Or you would be somewhere really cool because you and Meredith every year take these amazing trips. So you usually come to see, visit us in Wellington and then you usually go on this like amazing exotic trip. <laughs> <laughs> so this year it's, it's all right it's all right it's just trying to trying to yeah just just getting into a groove actually you know that's yeah. i think that's the the whole covid thing is like get into groove you know it feels like the movie groundhog day yeah you know, it does doesn't it you no know, every day kind of seems like the last day and whatever but that's that's my advice you know just yeah just accept well, you know, it and, it's and carry it on and go forward yeah and I yeah. think that's where wherever you are, right? Like, so yes, I I am very very blessed to be in Florida, but my husband's here with me. Travis is here, and and honestly, we don't go out. We don't really go out, right? We we're here on the farm, and uh, we ride, and we work, and we go to sleep, and we start again. And now, granted, it, it's great because the weather's nice, and you can be outside more, and you can sit out and and those things. Uh, but when I it heard comes you had to snow, did you have snow? I had I had a good thick chunk of ice on my truck this morning. I I couldn't believe it. Mm. I've been coming here, and it, I mean it was, it was yeah. I couldn't believe it. I've what never about, seen it. And what about falling iguanas? There were falling iguanas, and there was a snuggle alert last night. That's a very important Florida <laughs> thing. I didn't realize that was a thing, but a snuggle alert always comes up, and with a snuggle alert, it's falling iguanas. So yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. I know. I who knew? Beware. I'm not a Floridian. Where? Beware, but it's a thing, and we have iguanas here at our farm. So, like, I I do actually kind of pay attention to that. Like, maybe they'll they fall from the sky. So, it is a thing, yeah. And I had ice on my track this morning, so um, it was it was cold. But you know, the thing is, it, it warmed up to about 75, 70, yeah. 75 today, Real which part. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. so a uh, Fahrenheit. But um, we we had kind of we have to really watch colics. It's it's actually a real thing here. It's really we had an older guy here of ours. He colicked. We caught it quick, quickly, um, but it, there was such bad winds. I've never seen winds like we had the other. It went on for two days, and they were. I I rode, but it was one of those days. I was like, I'm not sure it's safe to ride because there was just stuff flying all over the place. It was but bad anyways, hair day. It was it, it was it was <laughs> unbelievable. I've never seen winds like that. It really was insane. But we we have a horse show this weekend, so we uh, tomorrow actually tomorrow morning. Uh, Big Mike, Big Mike does the pre St. George, and um, we have all levels going tomorrow. It should be really fun, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty intense. So we've been showing pretty much every weekend. So uh, keeping us out of trouble for sure. And 
props to the horse show, um, to all the horse shows and, and people that are going to the shows, right? Like everyone recognizes that they need to distance and wear a mask and be safe. And, um, it's been great. And, and the shows are pretty strict about it, which I'm fine with. I, you know, we want to all continue, um, to keep coming to the show. So, um, uh, this weekend is here at the white fence at white fences. Um, and they're real strict and, and again, it's fine. Um, so I hope that that's a good model for, for going forward this summer for everybody that, that, that you can be safe. You can show, there's a lot of showing out of the trailers going on that maybe didn't happen before. Um, so it's all good. It's been, it's been good. Great. Great. Yeah. 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 So really, really good. So, uh, and next week we have the CDI, which is really exciting. I haven't ridden in a CDI in 11 years. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's very different than it was 11 years ago. <laughs> like very well, different totally different location you you know the totally different location across the street yeah. <laughs> you know like 11 years ago there wasn't really computers <laughs> so everything's <laughs> online like it's it's been it's it's a learning curve for sure but it's really um i'm really excited to be back in the big ring and um really excited with my partner bingo so looking forward to it so we're full steam ahead down here and again we're able to sort of show right now and then i i give my horses a break now in the summer so I flipped my seasons uh, when it's hot in Kentucky. I like to go visit Phil, but it probably won't happen <laughs> this year. But <laughs> I like to go to Canada in the summer. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's really good. So Perfect. I'll give a full Perfect. report on what it's like to be at a CDI for the first time in a long time. So looking forward to that. That sounds great. So we, <laughs> we do have a we do have a good show coming up. We do. We have a great show. All things rules. But Janine, I think I mean I, I didn't I have an appreciation for all the steps and the and the different committees that that go into kind of making making a rule or changing a rule and and uh, we're going to get a great explanation all about that and then we have a friend of the Horse Radio Network, uh, Charlotte Merle Smith, who is a para rider who just competed at I, I think was her first CPDEI. C That's right. P mm-hmm. D-E-I, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I said it wrong, but <laughs> okay. And after that, we've got a, another para rider, Andy Sue, who is going to tell us all about her experience. And we've got a great trainer tip with Reese and I that we're going to be answering an email. Prostride is the all-natural solution for lameness. It uses the power of your horse's own blood to relieve pain, reduce inflammation, and improve mobility to keep them sound. Prostride can be completed stallside by your veterinarian in just 20 minutes with no need for trailering. Prostride is backed by years of science and success stories. Olympians to pleasure riders, trainers, horse owners, and their veterinarians trust the improved performance and lasting results reported with a single injection. No series, no daily supplements, and no monthly regimen. When every stride counts, demand the difference they deserve. Ask your vet about Prostride. Learn more at prostride.com. Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. 
Well, tonight it is truly my honor to have Janine Malone on. She is really the, the, the one who knows it all about rules. She is the USEF Rules Working Group Chairwoman. She is the USDF Rules Advisory Group Chairwoman. She is the chair of US Equestrian Federation Competition Management Committee and USDF Regional Championship Committee. Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I truly, you know, we were we were talking about the intro, and one of the reasons we have you on tonight is to talk about how rules start at USDF. It, it's a very confusing process, and I'm even on the committee with you, the USDF Rules Working Group, and sometimes I'm even confused. So we were going to have you just start to talk about what you do, what each committee does, and how rules are passed. I'll hand it to you. Okay, thank you. It is confusing. And the guidelines change frequently, which makes it even a little harder for some of us who've been doing it for years. And I have been pretty much in this role for probably 25, maybe 30 years now, which is a long time. So, uh, and uh, things have gotten more complicated, partly because the sport, at least our sport, dressage, has developed so many more programs that have their own rules now and have to be addressed by USEF and USDF. First, to just explain, USDF is the official discipline affiliate for dressage of U.S. Equestrian Federation. And so USDF has review capability for things that are originating in USEF. And now, for the first time in the last couple of years, USDF can actually put forward rules for USEF and it has all those things have to be reviewed by the other groups. So basically if things come first to the US Equestrian Federation Rules Working Group, they would also go to the USDF Rules Advisory Working Group. And we also review and each group would make comments and vote on things wherever they originate. Some rule changes actually come from outside, from members. They come from outside of U.S. Equestrian Federation. The USDF committees and councils and the executive board can also have things they want to put forward as rule change proposals. In the old days, they used to just go send a letter to the U.S. Equestrian Federation and Sometimes we, as in USEF, wearing my USEF hat, would write the actual proposal so that it was in the right place in the rule book and it said the right thing, so it made sense. Now, U.S. things often go to the Rules Advisory Working Group of USDF so that we advise or we would re- a review or sometimes even write rule change proposals for USDF. For USDF now, and this just started in, let's see, 2019 was the first year that USDF started this. And I was put in the chair position because I was already so familiar with the process through U.S. Equestrian Federation. The idea was that it would uh, make USDF's job easier if an experienced person was kind of guiding 
the process. And so that's what I've done. And we have a small USDF committee that reviews things and discusses things. But often something would come up, for instance, from the sport horse committee. There are a couple of rule changes that proposals that have come up in the last year. And I'm on that committee, so I might <laughs> I might <laughs> um, advise how those things should be written. Sometimes I write it for them, so it'll save less work down the road. But <laughs> that would go forward to the rules advisory working group, and then we get input there. And sometimes the rule change proposals from whatever committee will go to other committees to review and see if they have comments or recommended changes. And if there are changes, it has to come back to the Rules Advisory Working Group. And then finally, when we get it tweaked and everybody is happy as they're likely to be, then we send it to the executive board. If they approve, it'll go forward into the USEF system. So uh, basically, there are a lot more steps than there were several years ago. And the affiliate, which is USDF, is a lot more involved in the process than it ever was in the past. When things originate through the U.S. Equestrian Rules Advisory Working Group, they come. the rule proposals come from various sources. Sometimes, since I've been doing it a long time, people will say, I really see a problem with this. I think this rule should be updated or changed, or it's no longer applicable the way it's written. Or in many cases, we get things from you know, related to FEI has changed its rules and there are things that we really need to keep the same rules on for our country. So if the FEI makes a change that we need to uh, make a similar change uh, in USEF, we do it. So there are various ways that rules come forward. Also, sometimes somebody might notice a conflict in the rules where a rule one place says one thing, but a rule in another place actually has contradictory or conflicting language. And so we can put forward clarification to improve the wording in something. So there are various reasons that rule changes come forward. And then the USEF Dressage Rules Working Group would work on language for that and, and make rule change proposals. And then they would go forward to the USDF for review Significant rule changes are intended to be reviewed by the entire USDF membership, affiliate membership. So, for instance, as you know, Reese, we worked on this updated dress code rules for the U.S. Equestrian Federation. And that was a process that took several months Mm -hmm. in 2020 when we came up with proposed updated language and that now has been posted on the USDF website and members will be able to make comments and, and we'll review the comments in our next meeting, our upcoming meeting, the deadline for those proposals, significant proposals like that to go through is March 1st um, to the breeder discipline rules. So if it's, submitted a final version by March 1st, and it's voted by the U.S. Equestrian Federation Board at its summer meeting, and it would take effect December 1st, 2021, which is the date that more significant rule changes are set to take effect. It's always December 1st, which is the start of the competition year. So that's not all the details, but that's a little bit of how things work. I will say another recent 
job of our U.S. Equestrian Federation Rules Working Group, and sort of my job as chair. We, since you're on both the para-equestrian and para-dressage committee and our rules working group, you were part of our phone calls about trying to update and coordinate the para-dressage rules with the dressage rules that are published for the general dressage rules that are published for dressage competitions and mm-hmm. non-para riders. So we that was a recent task too, but that's not something we do regularly, but hopefully we have a system now that'll keep those uh, rules more coordinated than they were in the last few years. Yes. And I think that's one of the things that that I've learned sort of coming into the process of, of, of being on these committees. We are constantly looking at rule proposals, constantly. There, there, so there's a system. And I think, Jeanine, I may have you go back through that because there's we look at something and then we have to have it done by a certain date so that it gets in the system. So that will, so I think that's maybe what people, it's a little confusing that somebody will be like, what's, what's said rule. And I'm, I'm like, I don't, I have, I don't know where it is in the process. So can you t- just go over that one more time? Because the committees are made up of trainers, judges, stewards, TDs, riders, right. You mean like the, there's, there's a whole group of right. us that go through this and it right. look at all aspects of the sport. And I think that's what people need, like maybe don't understand is it's, it's not, it's a very active group and it's and and we are all very active and showing up and and being part of this because we know how important it is but can we just go through that again and like because if people want to propose a rule change you have to do it at a certain time right yes you do but whenever you propose it there's people could propose a rule anytime and it would go but it when it gets into the process it would have to drop into the system so that it's reviewed and it would still, the earliest time it could take effect would most likely be December 1st after it's put in the system. If it gets in by March 1st, if you propose it in November, well, it can't go into effect just a few weeks later. It would go into the system, be in the proposal form, go through all the review that I explained. If it gets in by March 1st, then, and was approved by all these committees, it would take effect the next December 1st. If it goes in in the spring, for instance, it would still go through that process, through the committee process, and be reviewed at the USDF convention in the end of November 1st of December, and would still go in by the next March 1st. Now, if it's a rule clarification, and this is something where there's a mistake in the rules or some wording conflicts or something has been misinterpreted by enough people that it could be considered a clarification, then USDF allows deadlines through the year to propose something like that. And usually it's a few months before those things would take effect. They do not have to wait till the next December 1st. But back to the two committees that do this, USDF has its Rules Advisory Working Group. USEF has its Dressage Rules Working Group. And they work separately, but the things they look at are coordinated and things do pass back and forth between USEF and USDF. Also, 
I haven't mentioned the general rules, which are the rules that apply to everybody in competition. They're the front of the rule book. A lot, that's what a lot of people call them. But it's the general <laughs> rules like that has to do with cruelty and abuse. And they're not sport rules per se. Those rules can only be written by the USEF legal department. If somebody wants to change a general rule, even our committees, we might actually write up the proposal on our own and send it to them, but they can tweak it and they actually would submit it or approve it to be submitted to one of the general rules. Those proposals have to be submitted by, I think it's August 1st, September 1st. And then they still go through that entire process, and then they would officially go in by the March 1st deadline, unless the legal department thinks they should be submitted earlier, and then they can kind of bypass that a little bit. So the schedule's strict in some ways, but it has its ways to bypass sometimes, mm-hmm. too. So Right. Um, so. Now. To stay active, you know, if you it's just a general member, if you are interested and want to stay active, it's very important to stay on the USDF website, correct? The USDF website posts all of the rules that might impact dressage. So what I'll do, that's just to give a, a specific example. I will get the whole list of proposals. It used to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. But now uh, it's fewer proposals in the system. They're sort of screened better than they were way back in the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the proposals go in. This is by another committee that does the screening, which, by the way, I'm on now for 2021. <laughs> uh, but if, propose, if uh, somebody puts forward a rule change proposal, and even committees do or affiliates do, they would all go through what's called the legislative committee. If they're approved to go in the system, then they start this review process. And this is general rules, everything. So all those things that are in the system by before the USDF meeting, for instance, I will, the committee liaison for USEF will send me everything and I'll go through and read these rule change proposals, obviously, if they have to do with hunter-jumper, if they're in the hunter-jumper rules, then I don't, you know, I can bypass those because that's not, doesn't have anything to do with dressage. But all general rules, all of them, I'll review, determine if they have any impact at all on dressage, they'll go on my list, and then USDF, it's Kathy Robertson now is in charge of that, she will pull those into a report and post them on the USDF website for committees to review. This year, we got an awful lot of feedback, and it may be because there was the virtual convention and people were just more tuned into the website. So USDF members do have a chance to review all that. Now, they could go directly to the U.S. Equestrian Federation website and look up things as well and comment on the U.S. Equestrian website. I don't think so many people do that now. I think maybe it's a little more difficult to do that than the way USDF has posted uh, these things for dressage. And also, USDF is publicized. Read these proposals. If you have a comment, you can send in the comment thing. And then, of course, the USDF committee has to review all of those. And a report went to the last USEF rules working group as well. That long report, you may recall that one that was 37 yep. pages. 
So it was a long. Uh, it was a long meeting. That was a long thing. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. So. so, so- Janine, I just also had a question about, even since I've come on a a couple of years ago, we are getting a lot more equipment and tack and bits and bridles and cavisons. And can you talk about, you know, if if, if that piece, because that's a huge piece for us. It's been, it's, it's actually, it's very different now than it was before. Yes. And I would (laughs) say from the time I started doing this 25, 30 years ago, if we got something every four or five years, yeah, that was usual. Or maybe then it got to once a year. And now it's, I review things and also Lisa Goretta and often Dr. Hillary Clayton. We get pulled her in on this now. We're looking at things once a week. Yeah. Sometimes, it's unbelievable the amount of bits. A few and times a week. Titles. Yeah. And that was it's... what I was doing when you called too. And I still <laughs> got emails on equipment that came in now. Oh, I want to yeah. use this bridle this weekend. Why isn't it not? When is it going to be approved? Blah, blah, blah. So we have uh, a lot of equipment to review. So the process on that has been when we started. Well, let me back up a little bit. Those people really familiar with the companies that make saddlery and bits and equipment acknowledge that there's a lot more of it now than there has in the past. And I'm told that it's because the manufacturing of equipment has become more streamlined and less complicated than it was years ago. Making machines is now easier to adapt. And a lot of this equipment, for instance, uh, Nishula has a popular bit or Steuben has a popular bit or bridle that's selling very well. And so some other company wants to do a knockoff, but (laughs) not infringe on the pattern. So they change it a little bit and give it a different name. And everybody's piece of equipment, everybody's uh, bit is the best thing since sliced bread. (laughs) It's great. And it's, it's marketing. And these people are very good at marketing. And they send things to us. Well, they didn't before, but then we... We figured out that you really can't, you don't read the PR, just read that. You have to look at the bit, and sometimes you have to try it. The same with the equipment, the saddlery, to see how it works. Because there are principles of saddlery, items of saddlery, tack, equipment, bits. And most of the biggest principle is the welfare of the horse. Mm-hmm. And if something is determined that it could harm the horse or make the horse uncomfortable or use an unfair method through pain to encourage a horse to behave in a certain way that might be deemed to be more acceptable for the sport, then uh, we still would look hard at that and most likely not approve that item because we don't feel that it's in the best welfare of the horse. And one example that people don't uh, think about, for instance, a vet that would have pressure on the undue pressure on the pallet, horse's palate, a nose band that would cause leverage. Mm-hmm a bit that would cause more than the standard amount of leverage you get through a curb. Remember that a curb bit with a very long shank is not permitted. And we recently looked at 
I don't want to mention specific brands, mm-hmm. but some brands of bits that we felt caused too much leverage on the pole and on other parts of the horse's face or area where the bit lays. There are crown pieces on the horse's bridle that extend too far back and put pressure on the horse's neck on the sensitive nerves. We don't allow those, but for instance, one that would extend forward of the pole and is wide with a forward direction, that's determined that that actually does relieve pole pressure, increase comfort for a horse, and that's a sensitive area around the pole behind the ears. And there are certain standards of saddlery. For instance, the FEI requires English saddle uh, with long flaps for FEI levels. Lower levels in this country, you can use a jumping saddle or you know, a forward seat type saddle in a lower level dressage class. That's fine. You don't see that very often anymore. But we've had to, in this country, define dressage saddle because there's so many hybrid saddles on the market, some that are hybrid, like a Spanish-type saddle. Right. What do I want to call it? I'm not thinking of the word right now. It's um, Australian, maybe? Uh, Australian's a type, but they, I'll think of it. But yeah. anyway, there, there are rules. Multiple. For, that might be one thing we want to cut and pull up later. But those are things that we have rules on, the types of saddlery and equipment. And, and Janine, um, we have that. It, it's, I mean, I think it's a fantastic document, and we it's always being changed. Is the Annex A right? How do pe- tell us about that document and how do people find that document? Because that's a great one. That's a very good point. Uh, that's posted on the U.S. Equestrian Federation website. You ha- do have to go to the dressage page of the website, uh, the national page, and go down to the rules on that. You don't want to go directly. If you go to the homepage and you see for rules or rule book, you don't want to go there, but it is only the actual rule book that's there. But if you go to the dressage page and you look down, scroll down, you would see a link to documents related to rules and equipment and Annex A is posted there. The most current version, edition, I should say, right now as was effective April 1st, 2020. And in the next few weeks, I'll be working with USEF staff and some others on the updates to Annex A. Yeah. Um, but we had so many things proposed. We're still trying to get photographs of everything <laughs> yeah. good enough to put in. And that, that, that is an, it's a great document. You can literally be at the horse show and you can pull it up. It's very clear exactly. and, and, and you've done an amazing job with it. It's a good one. Well, let me just explain if people don't realize what's in it. The first part of it is bits. Right now, I'm looking at it because that's what I was looking up. Somebody asked me about it. It's 36 pages long, but it's in a chart format. And it lists bits, equipment, and bridles are the main examples of what's in it that are legal at snaffles permitted at fourth level and below. And then Bradoon and curb bits permitted with a double bridle, because the rules are different for those two things. Then as far as salary or equipment permitted for FEI tests in the USEF rules. And then there, we also have posted what's permitted for FEI for CDIs. And so there are actually five columns 
and green check marks for when something is legal, red X if it's not legal, so it is easy to see even on its own. And if something's pending, there's something that says pending review because we have a few mm-hmm. items that have been sent in and maybe supposedly they have been, they're now manufactured differently so that they would fit our guidelines. And so we still have mm-hmm. some things to review even from last year. <laughs> but yeah. uh, for instance, that all the bits, there are, most of the bits are, uh, organized by brand, not completely, but we've tried to. So we have Myler's, we have the Springer bits, we have, there are a lot of Herman Springer bits. We have a lot of Bomber bits, which is a newer company, but that's mm-hmm. kind of gotten popular in the last few mm-hmm. years. There's lots of Bombers and yeah. Nishula's. Yeah. So Janine, we, we, you are so amazing and you're just such a wealth of information if if people have questions or want to send an email, how can they how can they find you? How can at what committee should they send it to? You? Give people some direction on where they can start well, the process if they have questions. We tell people, and so to keep things standard, they should actually contact the dressage department of the U.S. Equestrian Federation. And okay. Hallie Griffin, it's H Griffin at USEF.org would be the one to send the queries to. Now, the reason for doing that is to make sure everybody gets the same answer. You know, if there's a question, then she will come to some of us and we'll review. That's what I was doing just when you call, looking at a question from Hallie. And then we determine the answer to that. In this case, it's something, a, a bridal that we had turned down before, but now it's listed as pending review. And so I think probably uh, one of the bottles was supposed to be sent to us to review, and mm-hmm. still that needs to be done. So that would, but anyway, contacting Hallie Griffin via email is the best thing. Some people call, but right. it's a whole lot better when she has things <laughs> via email. What sure. people usually do if they're asking about a bit, an item of pack, saddlery, or equipment, is to send a link to it, where it's to the manufacturer's link. So we can actually see what it is and see if we want to. It, sometimes the answer is clear because we know what it is and we know if it's legal or not. Or Hallie has it, you know, on her list of mm-hmm. items mm-hmm. and she can check. And uh, if it's not, then we let people know we need to you know, fill a pending review. So, but that's the very best thing to do. And okay. because people know that both Lisa Goretta and I have been involved in this so long. Both of us get questions all the time. <laughs> yes. And yeah. if it's something obvious, of course, we'll tell if it's been answered and the answer is clear, but just the individual just didn't know where to find it or is new or what it to the sport or whatever, we'll, we'll tell them what it is. But often we say, can you send a good picture? And TDs find things mm-hmm. that shows all the time that all nobody time. ever heard of before. People, right. <laughs> And so right. um, we'll ask for a good photograph. We'll discuss it and often request the office, the USEF office will request that a sample be sent to USEF for us to review. Right. And we've kind right. of learned that the actual review of an item of salary is the best thing to do. So 
Right. Well, fantastic. Exactly. I mean, I think, I think again, this is a process and, and Janine, you're so amazing and, and you really keep the process going and keep us all engaged in doing it. And, and I hope people, what they've seen is this is a process that's going on all literally all the time. It's always being reviewed. It's always being looked at. And uh, we can't thank you enough for doing it and coming on the show to, to explain it to all of us. And I hope people, it clears it up. And, and if it doesn't, send Hallie an email and she can get the information out to where it needs to go. So and, and what thank she you. usually does is just tell people what the process is. And email, mm-hmm. of course, is a lot easier for her. She's got a lot on her plate now because USEF, as you know, had some staff changes mm-hmm. last year necessitated by the pandemic. Right. And so the best thing is to send her an email and she'll let people know if it's under review, what the status is, and let them mm-hmm. know when there's likely to be an answer as to whether something can be used or not if it hasn't okay. yet been decided. Great. Well, Janine, thank you so much for all you do for us and the sport and the rules. It's amazing. And, and thank you again for your time tonight on the program. We really appreciate it. Well, you are certainly welcome. And we look forward to seeing more people at the shows this summer. And we certainly encourage everybody to contact their TD ahead of time if they have any questions so that they don't get penalized or eliminated when simply finding some information before rather than after is going to serve them to get stand. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the TD's there to help, uh, not to be mean. They're there to help you. That's so, right. So and the feel TD free to use definitely them. want to help. So, yes. Absolutely. Well, Janine, thank you so okay. much. And we look forward to having you on again. Thank you so much. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Researchers have confirmed that as horses age, they naturally become less sensitive to insulin and more susceptible to health problems caused by too much sugar in the diet. One way to reduce the sugar content in a horse's diet is to replace sugar-laden grains with a high-fat supplement. Fat is an extraordinary energy source. It is readily utilized by the horse and contains more than two times the calories of sugary grains. Equijule Stabilized Rice Bran is an excellent fat supplement. It contains a balanced calcium-to-phosphorus ratio and won't cause mineral imbalances when added to the diet. Its all-natural ingredients are high in healthy fat and fiber. Best of all, Equijule allows owners to easily replace the calories previously supplied by sugary grains. When you need to add healthy calories to your horse's diet, choose Equijule. To learn more, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, tonight we are so happy to have Charlotte Merle Smith. She is from Ocala, Florida, and she just competed in the CPEDI at Global last week and won the grade three team test, was second individual in the individual and third in the freestyle. Charlotte, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. We are so happy, and you are a huge just part of the Horse Radio Network. I can't believe we're just having you on now, but you are a friend of ours and Glenn's, and we just couldn't be happier that you're here today and had such an amazing show. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I had a great show, especially because it was the first CDI with my new horse. Yeah, tell us about yourself first. Give us your story, and then I can't wait to hear about your new horse. Okay, so the Reader's Digest version 
is <laughs> I was a three-day event rider professionally until I was hurt in October 2007. I am now a paraplegic, and horses will always be in my life. So I started riding um, paradressage, and um, I've had a couple horses, but just recently, well, I got this lot, my new horse in April of this year or of 2020. And, um, so we just did our first, uh, FEI competition together. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and you I've, were searching, right? This was, you know, it was, it, you searched a long time for this, this horse, right? Oh, this unicorn. Didn't two you? Years. Yeah. <laughs> so that's two what I thought. Years, it, yeah. it was a long time. Yeah. And then she was right down the road. Oh, really? <laughs> tell us about her. Yeah. That's tell us the story. That is hilarious. You went everywhere too. I know. So I've gone everywhere. I've gone to Canada. I'd gone, I'd vetted horses in Canada, in uh, North Carolina, um, Florida, and all with slightly just some, a few physical things that as a para rider, I can't post. Um, and so I just couldn't, couldn't, I had to keep going with those ones. So, um, this horse was imported by Breck Dressage here in Ocala. And then they had her for like four or five years and sold her up North. And so she went from, uh, Florida fall to Vermont winter. And so, and that didn't work out. And so the woman sent her back down here to be sold after less than a year. And someone was like, Hey, I heard about this horse over there. You should go look at her. And she's literally less than 10 minutes down the road. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and also my barn had been, my trainer had to keep his barn closed because that's when COVID was just hitting. So I was riding her going over there to where she was. And then it was so great. I ended up leaving her there. Um, so I got a new horse, a new trainer, a new barn, everything. Oh, that's awesome. So tell us about your horse. Give us the, her details. So she's a 10 year old, uh, Dutch warm blood. She's a girl <laughs> and, <Yeah. gray. laughs> and she had been, um, she was ready to go. I won, but, uh, so there was enough buttons, but not too many buttons in there for me. Um, cause like my last horse has been a lot of time in pee off. Um, <laughs> so, which she, a lot of people would think is good, she, but no. Oh my gosh. As the adventure in me was having so much fun, <laughs> but the para rider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was like, well, um, but she was just, She's so fun. So when you get a good mare, you get a good mare. And she's like, I, I mean, I've only fallen off her a few times, but it was because I <laughs> asked the wrong way or I did. It was my fault. Totally. And so now we're just, she's just wonderful. I have been having so much fun. How old is she? She's 10. Oh, great age. Perfect age. Super age, huh? Oh. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell us about the show. What happened down here? You came down to, to, to Wellington, which I sadly didn't see you. Um, but tell us I about know. your adventure. Yeah. Tell us about your adventure down here. Well, so uh, my coach up here wasn't able to come down with me um, for that much time. So I ran with a woman named Ruth Hogan Polson. Um, she was actually the first person I rode with uh, when I got hurt um, up in Vermont. And uh, she has a place in Vermont in Loxahatchee. So and she's helped me with my other two pair of horses, but, um, she, you know, it's a little different for me to come down totally without a coach. So I went down there, um, a week ahead of time 
because she's like, I want to be able able to work things out before you go in the ring. So, yeah, so I was down at Roost for, uh, let's see, the 19th to the 26th. And then the jog was on, I think on the 26th. And then, yeah, we did the CDI. And so I, it, it was just awesome. What was it like to win the team test? I mean, that was like your first big time in the ring and you killed it. How was that? Oh, I cried. There were definitely some tears. I'm not a crier <laughs> and there were some tears because um, I wasn't able to sit and watch the rest of my division. I went back to the barn and uh, we were watching the live scoring. I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't really happening. Yeah. So it was because I had horse shopped for two years and I hadn't really been able to get, you know, that feeling you get. Well, you wouldn't know, but when you come off across country and you're all, like, yeah, all that's true. I would not know. <laughs> oh, you mean <laughs> you're terrified? right, girl. I would huh? not know. That is so true. Yeah. I am so scared well, of that. So but yes, I hadn't, I hadn't really been able to get that feeling again. So I was like, I was loving. My horses were amazing. I was loving riding. I just was missing that extra, and I got it now with Gigi. Like it's just, Aww. it's amazing. So yeah. what's the next step? What are you doing now? Well, so now I have to figure it out. Um, well, I have to figure it out, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. um, I think all of, it, all of us another, are like that. Yeah, there's another CDI um, in March. But because of the World Equestrian Center here, which is amazing. I actually showed there before the weekend before I went to um, down south. But um, like I, don't, I have to decide whether or figure out whether there's going to be enough atmosphere and good enough judges go back down to Wellington and do the CPEDI again. So, so that's, I decided mm-hmm. that. And then there's another um, CPEDI at Tryon after that, which I'm going to go to. So yeah. cool. And then after that, do you have any more world championships? Maybe Tokyo. I'm just saying any of those uh, well, aspirations. I, I did put in, I put in my application for the team application. This year. That's my girl. Um, and uh, the, team coach really likes her oh that's so, so exciting oh my goodness yeah, so, and I'm, so even if you know who knows if they're actually going to do Tokyo but it's just I feel like these are the steps I've been trying to take for years like since I got hurt I've been trying to make these steps in my head and you know in the ring and it's just been going so well oh I just it gives me chills and, I'm so excited for you Oh, it's, I had one more thing is I had to, um, and I was able to go down to Ruth for so long because I won a pair of dressage grant from the dressage foundation, which helped me with all that time down at Ruth in Wellington is a bit costly. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm just so thankful to the dressage foundation for helping me be there. Fant- Fantastic. Well, Charlotte, if anybody wants to follow your journey or follow you on social media, or maybe even contact you because you are so kind to any para rider that has any questions, how could they find you online? So I'm trying really hard to get better at it. I (laughs) just, my personal page, Charlotte Merle Smith, and I have a Charlotte Merle Smith comma para equestrian, but I don't really post them as much as I should. But then I'm trying to post on my Instagram, which is helmet wearer. Awesome. But, well, yeah, that's Charlotte, from, that's from snow, when I used to snowboard it and I had to wear my helmet. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Well, girl, we are so much in your corner. We're so excited for you to, on this journey oh, and we can't, we can't wish you enough luck and girl, we want to have you back on the show when you go to Tokyo. Is that a deal? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. All right, girl. Best of luck and keep it up. Thank you guys so much. Stay stay warm up there, Phil. I'm trying. Oh. I'm trying. I got my cup of tea. I got my cup of tea here and, and I'm Okay, and, good. Uh, I'm dreaming of palm trees. I'll be I'll oh. be able to maybe Very maybe good. next winter I'll be back. Next before, winter. Uh, he'll be back. You know, he'll be right back now. with us. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Charlotte. We'll talk to you soon. And now a quick word from EcoGold Saddle Pads. No slipping, no sliding, no problem. EcoGold Secure Saddle Pads are engineered to keep the horses back comfortable while keeping the saddle in place for a safe, competitive ride. They have impact protection through the seat and the ultra-thin flaps provide the rider with better communication and a more stable riding position. Available in both English and Western styles, shop the entire collection at ecogold.ca. Well, today I am so excited to have my brand new friend, Andy Sue. We met last week. Uh, we have a connection through the U.S. Pony Club, and I met her here, here down at Global and in, in Wellington during the CPEDI. Andy Sue, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, first of all, we have to say happy 16th birthday, girl. Thank you. Thank you so much. Today, It's your birthday today, isn't it? It is, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're spending a few minutes with us. That's that's really fun. I love it. Of course, it was my pleasure. <laughs> well, you have had quite a big week, right? Uh, you're back in California now, but you were down here with us in Florida last week. But uh, I'd like to have you just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I guess today I'm now 16. Um, I was adopted um, at 15 months old by my mom and dad and had a deformed uh, foot, which it wouldn't support my weight. So we had decided at when I was two to um, amputate it. And then when I was five, I started riding and I got into pony club and showing at age seven. And so that's how I started uh, riding and all those fun things. <laughs> how, how, did, then, how did you get into dressage? I want to, I want to know what, what, uh, sent you in, in this direction? Oh, yeah. So I always knew I wanted to do um, something in with horses, and I've always been um, very competitive. And when I heard about paradressage, I was like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. And then I met uh, in Tryon, actually, just this last year. I met, I was able to meet all of the um, other para athletes and I was like wow these these para athletes are like such like a team and supporting each other and like it was just so amazing to see how much like they were there for each other even though they were like competing against each other and I really liked that and I thought I think this is like what I really want to do because I enjoyed dressage and I enjoyed meeting all these other para athletes and um feeling like I belong, you know? That is amazing. So tell us, I mean, one of the tricky parts about being in California is a lot of times you have to come to the East Coast and, and show here. And typically, you know, it's too cost prohibitive to bring your horse. 
So you're literally flying in and having to ride a horse that's essentially provided, right? I mean, that's an unbelievably difficult thing to do. Yeah. I like to consider it as like, um, like a puzzle because like I love puzzles and I love like the challenges that you have to figure out like what puzzle piece will go to like what horse and what knowledge that my trainers have given me to be able to put onto this horse and give the best out of the horse that I can get. So I like to do that. And also like, even like the time frame, uh, the time crunch, I guess it like, I just love doing that. And I love like figuring out like with like trial and error, you know? And so that's, it's been amazing, like being able to ride all these upper level horses and they're all special in their own ways. And so it's so fun to create new connections and just everything about it. So I was going to ask you, what what grade do you ride in at the para competitions? I am a grade five. And maybe you could tell you could tell our listeners what what's included in the in the grade five tests. The grade five tests have it's the highest grade that you can be for a para, and it had what I'm doing is like second level ish. Stuff. Yeah. So you have to fly in, have a horse for a week and ride a second level test. Like that's difficult on it for anyone. <laughs> that's no yeah. joke. So what are some strategies that you've now, you've, you've now done this twice, right? Where you've come in yeah. and you've, you've done this and you really, you almost need a horse that's essentially third level. Um, so how, yeah. how do you mentally prepare for that? Like, how do you, how do you do that? Uh, well, actually a while ago I did, um, I did this teaching class for, it's called Habits for Horsemanship by um, Karen Rolf. And I learned the biggest thing that I took away from that was the reflex to relax. And I've used that for, well, I've been using that for like my whole entire life, but being able to have her put into words what that is was like just so amazing to be able to like, go in and like be so nervous and then just being able to take like a big deep breath and being like, I got this, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and just relaxing and which makes your horse relax and works out amazingly. So Andy Sue, what's, what's next on your agenda for, for competition? Yeah. So right now I, I'm planning for the spring to just do local shows, working on um, the developing level tests, and then hopefully in tri- we'll be going to try on in June. Fantastic. Now, you have your own horse, right? Can you tell us about your horse? Yeah. Um, I've had my new horse for about a year now, and uh, he is just learning how to do all the moves and hopefully he can, I can get him up to the level that I need him. Right now we uh, are hoping to go first level uh, this spring. And I think, uh, I think we're going to get there hopefully. But um, so I have that horse and then I have my first horse and his name's Tam and he has just brought me up the levels and is the perfect, like, training type horse and he loves everything and um, I vented on him I decorsage and I go 
go trail riding and did Gymkhana and all sorts of fun things. <laughs> he loves doing uh, the pony club games and rallies and everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is so. so cool. Well, Andy, see, we, we want to, first of all, wish you a very, very happy birthday. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. But we can't wait to stay in touch with you and see how your journey continues. And uh, we wish you all the best luck as you go forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, thanks for coming on our show. We really enjoyed having you. Well, Phil, as you know, uh, what we were talking about the weather here and how crazy it was with the wind. And I really appreciated my stability stirrup leathers from Total Saddle Fit. They are great and they help keep your leg down and quiet. And we, who doesn't need that, right? Like it's amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I talk about the the crazy winter riding here, and maybe you got to experience a little bit of the yeah. <laughs> weather-related uh, spookiness, and you know, the horses kind of running around. You're gonna want to, you know, you're gonna want to keep your stirrups, and and the total saddle fed stability stirrup leathers help you to keep your feet in the stirrups because your leg is gonna be stable on the horse. So I think that that's a that's a great advantage in in these times. Exactly. So, and they also have just amazing products that we love and we use all the time. So check out totalsaddlefit.com for all the amazing curse and other products they have. We appreciate them and, uh, and they're great products. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. So, Phil, we also, we have a listener question for our Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week. What you got for us? I think this is a really common one, so I I think it's great that we can get to this. The question is, do we have any training advice to help with preventing my horse from lifting her head in the canter depart? Yes. So, I'm going to hear hear your words on this first. You want to hear my uh, words of wisdom? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, this, this happens a lot, right? I think there's stages in learning a lot of things, right? So this is sort of stages of learning a transition to canter. And, you know, when you think about the stage of canter, right, the horse has to go from the two beat trot rhythm to a three beat canter rhythm, right? So they have to learn how to change their body from one way of going to a different way of going. So for balance, typically the horses will throw their heads up. Right. So that's, that's just the basic of what's happening. So once you sort of know that, then you think, okay, how am I going to teach this horse to, to gently go from one gate to the other? And, you know, this is a lot of times when I tell people it's really time to start working on their lateral aids and their yielding aids, um, because the horse really has to learn to bring their inside hind leg a little bit more under their body for balance. So, that's a little bit where we start to work on, on the open side of the circle. For example, we do start to push the circle out a little bit of a leg yield. And once that horse sort of gives to those yielding aids, um, that will really, really help in the transition to canter because they're also learning how to use their body a little bit differently. So that's one of the exercises that I do. Um, and also it's really important that the rider doesn't get rigid in that transition. It's very normal that somebody, especially as you're learning, gets rigid. And so then you, the rider typically ha- is going from posting trot and they have to go to sitting trot and then they ask for the canter aid. 
So a lot of people really struggle with that sitting element. So this is also a time, you know, again, we, we haven't seen the horse. We're just getting the question. This is also a time that I, I you know, you kind of also have to talk about sitting trot and, and what's it like to sit into the transition to canter. So I think it's, it's a time in training. There's actually a lot of things that are going on. Wouldn't you say, Phil? Yeah, I think it's 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 a very important time, and, yes. it, and it's very important for the rider to be working on on their aids and and mm-hmm. timing. Timing is such a huge thing in this. You know, you have to you have to kind of put your inside leg on, and then kind of gently bring the outside leg back, and all of that stuff. So, I mean, you've got to be really trying to be competent in in these moments and direct with the horse that they do listen. And you know, what I see a lot is that the rider begins to sit and the horse begins to run away a little bit or yes. the rider begins to sit and the horse and the horse uh, is braces their back. And, and these are all not good things. Um, so I think the first step is just making that transition from rising to sitting and being as smooth as possible and not, not disturbing the horse first. Right. And so, you know, don't even ask for the canner if, if that's, you know, if there's any kind of disturbances happening or loss of balance and all, all the normal things. Um, so what I have to have riders do is being able to rise, then sit. Okay. And everything's still okay because we just get really flustered in that moment. And, and, and that can be very problematic. And then the next thing is the horse has to accept the inside leg, go towards the outside rein and then strike off in the canter in the right moment. I mean, a lot of times you'll be doing everything correct, but if the horse doesn't get it in the right moment, it's not going to be pretty. So right. that's just this. This kind of one of these problems that I kind of say is just time and attack and 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 feeling yes. feeling the right moment. And you know, a lot of horses need just a little tick with you know a little touch with the whip to um, encourage them to inspire them. This, this is an inspiration yeah. to inspire them to canter because, uh, you know, you get, a, get kind of lazy horses or you get horses who are, are not quick to make the transition. And then of course, if they, if they're not quick to make the transition, then you can ask all you want, but it, it'll be in the wrong moment. And then all, everything falls apart and the horse speeds up and you know, it, it all, it all can fall apart fast. And so, you know, connect the horse correctly. Okay. And then the next day, maybe practice, timing on you know the horse has to pick up the canter at the right moment uh you know and and like i said it, it just kind of takes timing and feel you can you know I, I can stand in the in the middle of the arena for hours and hours and hours but but i can't tell you what the feeling is until you can get it yourself and then and then right. repeat it um consistently on on your own so it's it's one of those it, yeah again it's just a learning it's a learning moment and and it can be very difficult you know, it's, you know, but once you get it and once you have the right feeling and the right timing, all of a sudden it becomes easy. It's like, it's like one of the, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things that you, you can't do it until you can do it. Right. Exactly. No, it's so true. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And then once you can do it, you'd be like, why did, why did that take me months to Mm kind of get, you know, but so hopefully, you know, when it clicks, you can just continue to kind of build your muscle memory and build the horse's muscle memory to, to, uh, to make it click every time. Right. And it does, it just takes time. I think that's also a really good 
thought there it's 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 an important time but it's also a time typically the horses don't have the muscle and and that ability so i think that's also really important to to think about so i completely agree with you um and it's it's it, it is a crucial time and it may take a little time but don't don't be worried about that um it will it will come well, everybody, as always, we love email and Facebook shout outs. Phil and I love to do the trainer's tips. We don't do them all that often anymore. So we always enjoy the opportunity to answer your questions. So keep them coming. We always enjoy it. As always, the United States Dressage Federation is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org for more information. That's www.usdf.org, the online destination for dressage. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is through Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. That's ProStride, Kentucky Performance Products, Eco Gold, and Total Saddle Fit. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down, your shoulders back, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. 